welcome to episode 30 of the Going for Broke Outdoors podcast, a podcast by an outdoorsman for other outdoorsmen. I'm your host, Jeremy Gillespie. In today's episode, I'm going to recap my 2022 hunting season, my lessons learned, and I'm also going to talk about my goals for 2023. Before we get into today's episode, I want to give a shout out to Uncle Lou at Stealth Outdoors for helping to make this podcast possible. Check out Stealth Outdoors at www.stealthoutdoors.com and get a jump start on your preparation for the 2023 season with the products from Stealth Outdoors. Designed from the ground up with a mobile hunter in mind, Stealth Outdoors manufactures climbing stick wraps, cam buckle covers, platform cable wraps, and stealth strip rolls for all of your miscellaneous silencing needs. Stealth your mobile hunting setup this off season by visiting www.stealthoutdoors.com to silence your gear and to place an order today. Now on to the podcast. Well, my fall 2022 season started out with a lot of optimism in Montana. I had an antelope archery tag, a deer tag, which is good for archery or rifle, an elk tag, also good for archery or rifle, a bear tag, and then I also drew a Kansas archery whitetail tag. My buddy Joel Moss, who was just on episode 29 of the podcast, drew a Montana deer tag. He also drew a Kansas archery whitetail tag. And then my girlfriend's dad drew a Montana deer tag as well. In addition to that, my cousin, who is a lifelong Navy man, who is currently living in Florida, drew his first Montana tag. So he had the combination tag, which is good for deer and elk. And then finally, my buddy Jake drew a Montana deer tag also. And he was planning to come out later towards the end of the rifle season to hunt mule deer with me. So on top of everybody I know pretty much having a tag and planning to come to Montana, the trip to Kansas... I was also super busy at work on a big project that took up most of my July, August, and unfortunately a lot of September. So that put a real kibosh on my early season hunting. So my season actually started out on August 15th. One of the things I love about living in Montana is the early archery antelope season. The archery only tag is called the 900-20 tag, and I've been applying for that the last few years. It's fun because you get to start hunting August 15th. This year, I believe that was a Sunday, maybe a Monday so I only got out for the opener, and what I learned is that if you're spotting stock an antelope, you're going to have a long season because it's it's very difficult, and last year, 2021, I was actually able to get one, but that was probably 30, 35 stocks in, and this year, I just didn't have the same amount of time to hunt. I only got out three or four times, and my big takeaway is with all the stuff that was going on with work, I was kind of wound pretty tight. I wasn't taking the time that I needed to take on an antelope stock. The biggest asset when stalking antelope, in my opinion, is time and patience, and I didn't have a lot of either, so I was rushing through a lot of these stocks. I got to 100 to 200 yards on a few occasions, but obviously that's well out of bow range. So my big takeaway is I need more time and I need to slow down and really put myself in the hunting mindset when I'm after antelope. Even then, it's difficult, but when a guy's in a rush, it's just not going to happen. So going into 2023, I'm going to apply for that same tag again. It's almost always 100% draw. So I'll probably get it, and I'm going to focus on really taking my time, and I'll probably hunt alone more for antelope. Shauna went out with me a few times, which I really enjoyed, but it's just so hard to get even one person close, and it's even harder with two. And sometimes I feel bad if I'm laying in the dirt for an hour just glassing a buck when she's with me. So I'm going to hunt alone a little bit more this year so I can really take my time and have a better chance of getting the spot and stock antelope in 2023. Well, that brought me to early September. The deer and elk opener this year was September 3rd. Sean's dad, his name is Boyd. Boyd had applied for a preference point in 2021, I must have been. 
And then he planned to try to draw in 2022. So he put in, and then for the 2022 season, and this might be news to a lot of people listening, the Fish, Wildlife, and Parks in Montana didn't publish this very well and made a lot of people mad. But something that FWP did in 2022 is they changed the rules where if a person is accumulating preference points and they don't apply for the tag every fall, then you actually forfeit all your points. And that was instituted in 2022. Again, wasn't well publicized, caught a lot of people off guard. A lot of people still don't know that they've lost their points to date. So there's going to be a lot of unhappy people. And FWP didn't refund any of the money for previous points bought. So I was actually aware of this from reading the rule book. And I talked to my buddy, Joel. And I let Joel know that his preference points were going to expire if he didn't apply for the tag this season. He really only planned on going to Kansas. We already had a rut hunt planned in November. So Joel went ahead and applied for a Montana tag. Also, he knew Boyd, Sean's dad, was coming out. And while I think Joel's preference would have been to come out during rifle season in late November with us already having that trip planned in mid-November to Kansas, that wasn't something he could swing. So he decided from a budget standpoint to come out for an early season archery hunt with Boyd. And they both showed up the day before the opener, so that would have been Friday, September 2nd. It'd be hard to imagine a worse early season bow hunting forecast Temperatures were 100 degrees, upper 90s all week, and when those guys coming out with that forecast, I was pretty discouraged. I did tell them both that the previous year, I'd shot a really nice whitetail buck on a day that was 86 or 87 degrees in an effort to keep their spirits up, but I was honestly pretty concerned with those temperatures that they were going to have a pretty lousy hunt. My fears turned out to be unfounded, however. The first day, Joel set up near a water source, and less than two hours into his hunt, he had a nice velvet mule deer come in was able to get an arrow in that and had one down right away. So that was really good for morale. Sean's dad, Boyd, is 68 years old. He's one of the people that really got me into bow hunting. So I plan to hunt with him all week and do my best to get him on a buck. Walking out for the first evening hunt, we actually jumped a bachelor group of mule deer, four or five bucks, two or three pretty good looking bucks in there. And I don't know if I've ever seen Boyd that excited in his whole life. I think he was a little nervous about the temperatures too, 100 degrees. And when we jumped that batcher group bedded in a grove of shade trees and boy that got him excited for the rest of the hunt that night we ended up seeing seven or eight deer two or three smaller bucks that weren't in that bachelor group nothing close enough to shoot and nothing that got him excited anyway so he was just happy to see that first bachelor group and know that there were some shooter bucks in the area day number two we went out in the morning that's something that goes a little bit against conventional wisdom is morning hunts in the early season but on an out-of-state hunt with limited time, that's something that I'll do, and that's something Boyd was willing to do. So we got up early. We actually did see a nice whitetail buck that morning. We weren't able to get a shot at it, and that was most of the action for that morning. The second evening, Shauna actually joined us, so it was me, Boyd, and Shauna. It's tough enough bow hunting with one person. It's even tougher with three people, but we had a good time. We saw quite a few does, one or two smaller bucks. Again, nothing that Boyd wanted to shoot, so it was on to day number three. By day number three, Boyd decided that whitetails didn't look so bad either, so we went to an area that I knew had a little bit higher whitetail population, and it was a good early season area that I'd hunted in years past. And on the evening of day three, that spot turned out to be the ticket. We saw probably 30 whitetail deer, certain pockets of Montana. There's a lot of whitetails, and this is one of those pockets. Like I mentioned, Boyd 68, so we were hunting off the ground. We set up on a field edge, typical early season setup in an area with no pressure where the the deer really aren't spooked yet, and about a half hour before dark, had a pretty nice eight-point come in, spotted the bucket about 50 yards out, told Boyd, Boyd saw it, 
And then it just kept getting closer and closer and closer. I was sitting right next to Boyd, so I ran the range finder. I was ranging the buck as it came in, 40 yards, 37 yards, 31 yards, 26 yards. I thought he was going to let it get close enough to pet it, and then he finally shot at 26 yards. The buck turned out to be quartering to us slightly, and Boyd's shot was just a little bit back. We thought he might have hit the lung on the entrance and then got liver on the way out. We waited until just before dark. Then we went to the impact site, tried to find the arrow. We were pretty sure we weren't going to find it because when the deer ran away, it looked like the arrow was still sticking out quite a bit. So we looked around a little bit, didn't see it, didn't find much for blood, and we only made it about 20 or 30 yards. Ended up jumping the deer, so we knew that we are going to have to leave it lay for a while. We went back to camp, cooked some dinner. We all agreed on a liver shot. Best to let the deer lay at least four to six hours. So it was around 7 or 7.30 when Boyd hit the buck, so we decided we were going to go back around midnight, try to find the trail again. Well, we went back around midnight, and Joel came with us. Joel actually picked up a track crossing uh, access road through this piece where you could tell that a deer had drug its hoof. And with the quartering away shot, what we deduced is that the arrow probably went in, got lung, liver on the entrance side, and then it must have been quartering pretty hard because we were pretty sure that deer was dragging its leg because the arrow had stuck in the hind quarter. At the point Joel found that track crossing the road, we really hadn't found much for blood at all. We used that track to get a bearing on the direction of travel, and then we walked a game trail. And it was probably 50 to 100 yards before we found the first very small spot of blood, but we knew we were heading in the right direction then. And that's how the track went for about the next 200 yards. We'd find really small spots of blood every 10, 15, 20 yards. About 200 yards into the track, we came up to a barbed wire fence. We found blood on the opposite side of the fence, so we knew the deer had jumped the fence. That gave us a little cause for concern that far into the track that the deer was still looking pretty healthy. But it turned out the deer wasn't that healthy at all. We went about 20 more yards, and then we found the deer piled up. Needless to say, Joel and Boyd were pretty excited. We got two deer down in three days in 100-degree temperatures, so not exactly ideal early season conditions. My big takeaway from the early season hunt is that don't let the temperatures get you discouraged. If you're in a good area and the deer are unpressured. Speaking of good areas, that's one thing that I've learned about hunting early season since I moved to Montana. The deer in the early season are in pretty small areas. They don't travel a lot. And if you go back and listen to podcast episode number five that I did with Dwayne Diefenbach, the research biologist from Penn State University, he talks about the home range size, and in the early season, home range size, I think for an average whitetail in Pennsylvania, is something like 600 acres, so a square mile. Those home ranges are pretty small, and the deer aren't traveling much, so it's either feast or famine. Either you're in the deer or you're not, so take the time to run some cameras, do some glass, and locate those deer, and scout and observe a bunch before you go in to hunt. Well, Boyd and Joel left after about five days, so on the second weekend of the season, Headed out to an area that I knew had some better mule deer in the past, and it didn't take long at all. So the first evening hunt of my first day of archery, which was the second Saturday of the season, maybe it was Friday, I don't remember, Friday or Saturday, I went out and within two hours, I had a pretty nice buck spotted, probably like a mid-130s, 3x4. If the deer would have had a 4x4 frame, if it would have had the other fork, it was missing a top fork on one side, I would have been pretty tempted to take a shot at that deer i was within bow range 40 maybe 50 yards and i think i could have closed the distance a little bit if that was a deer i was interested in shooting but i was trying to hold out for something pope and young caliber this year so decided to pass on that deer and also it was only two hours into my first hunt of the year well believe it or not as i was watching that deer it started to work off 
I looked to my right, and about 100 yards away, I spotted a really tall three-by-three three mule deer, still in velvet, which a lot of the deer had stripped velvet by that point. And the deer wasn't super wide. Actually, I'll put a picture of it in the thumbnail. But it was very tall, one of the taller muleys that I've seen out here. And even though I wanted to shoot a four-by-four, four, this was just such a unique deer that I decided that I'd take a shot at it if I could. I was able to parallel the deer. It was kind of just feeding along, and I was able to parallel the deer and get within about 50 yards. For me, when I'm spot and stalking a deer, a lot of times I'll try to get to within like 60, 80 yards, and then I just let the deer do what the deer is going to do, and hopefully they work towards me. I feel like if the deer's up on its feet like this one was, and as opposed to being bedded, if you push the envelope too much, it's pretty easy to spook them. So I guess that's one tip for me is get close enough but not too close and then let the deer close the last little bit of distance and that's how I've had some of my most successful spot and stock hunts with a bow. So anyways, I parallel this deer, get to within 50 yards, then I'm kneeling down. I'm in a pretty open area in kind of like a grass brush CRP type field and I can just see this deer's rack over top of the brush and it keeps getting closer and closer and closer and over the next 10 minutes, it closes to within about 18 yards. And maybe you're wondering, hey, dummy, why did you let it get so close? For one, the brush and the grass was covering the vitals. Two, the deer had come pretty much head on at me. Now, I'm not against taking a frontal shot. I was on the ground with limited cover. So I would have had to get drawn, rise up, and then take a frontal shot. And I was almost positive that was going to spook this deer. So I just kind of let it play out. About 18 yards, it finally turned off to the side and presented a broadside shot that day I was wearing a puffy jacket and it had a nylon kind of exterior it wasn't fleece I normally wear fleece bow hunting or something with like a soft brush face but I had this puffy jacket on because it was a little chilly in the morning and I don't know if the deer heard me draw or if the jacket made a noise from the nylon or what exactly happened but whatever the case was mid draw the deer snapped its head up looked directly at me I finished my draw cycle but now I've got this deer that I thought was broadside when it snapped its head up. Now it's more quartering to me and quartering to me fairly hard. I'm still knelt down in the brush. So I can only see about the top third of the body and the neck and the head. So it's a poor angle. I can't see a lot of the deer. So I just hold that full draw and I hold that full draw and probably two minutes goes by. I'm starting to get really shaky and I know I have to do something. So what I decided to do is slowly lower my bow down Again, I'm kneeling down, so I put my bottom cam in the dirt, and I put my knee on my cam a little bit, trying to take some pressure off. Well, obviously, with the deer that close and staring at me, it had seen me move, and that made it a lot more nervous. After about 15 seconds of holding my bottom cam in the dirt, the deer finally got spooky enough, and it bounded off. As it bounded off, I stood up and did the old meh to get the deer to stop, and surprisingly, because this rarely ever happens, that deer stopped after about three bounds, I knew that it hadn't went more than 10 yards, so I figured it was 28, 30 yards. Put my 30-yard pin on it. Now, here's something in retrospect that in the moment made sense, but I probably wouldn't take the shot again. So the deer is still in this brush field, and probably two-thirds to three-quarters of the body is covered up by this brush and CRP-type stuff. I'm at 30 yards. I think my arrow is going to have a little bit of arc. It'll probably arc in clear all the brush on the way there, and then it only have to go through a little bit of brush to get to the deer. And when I say a little bit of brush, in my mind at the time, I don't think the arrow's going to get into the brush until it's a foot or two away from the deer. So I settle my pin, take the shot, and I can tell even before the arrow gets there that it's slapping off some of this brush. 
And I haven't hunted this area a lot, so I didn't know exactly what was in the brush field. But after the fact, I found out there's a lot of stemmy type sapling plants in there with woody stems as opposed to just blades of grass, which would be easier for an arrow to go through. Anyways, the arrow ended up deflecting. Unfortunately, I hit the deer. The deer ran off. I waited about 20 minutes, went and looked for my arrow because the deer was far out of sight. Managed to find the arrow on this tangle of CRP and tall brush, and it was straight guts. I knew it was straight guts. Had matter on it. Smelled terrible. Obviously, it got shot. Pretty disappointed. So I waited about eight hours to track this deer. Was only able to follow the track about 200 yards. Lost blood. That was it. Then I started grid searching. I turned my Onyx tracker on, which I always recommend when you're grid searching, so you know where you've been. So you can look at that and see if you've missed areas. If you're looking in bedding areas or on water. Long story short, I looked for this deer for about nine miles that day. Never found it. Looked for it again the next day. Still couldn't find it. Checked all the water in the area a few times. Figured with a gut shot, might end up dead in the water. Unfortunately, just wasn't able to recover the deer. And that really put a damper on my early season. I uh, hate wounding deer. I'm sure everybody that bow hunts feels the same. And looking back, I don't feel like the shot that I took was unethical. You know, it was 30 yards. The deer was alert. Um, I've shot through grass and stuff before with no ill results. But in this particular case, knowing what I know about the area and the vegetation now, probably wasn't the ideal shot to take because of those woody stems in that field. So my lesson learned here is in the future, when in doubt about what the vegetation is, I won't take that shot. Also, my arrow didn't arc quite as much as I planned on, so it went through more brush before it got to the deer than I anticipated, which gave it more chance to deflect. I was thinking my trajectory was going to be a little more rainbow than it was, even at 30 yards because I shoot a heavier arrow setup, but it was not. And long story short, just didn't work out. Very disappointing. Not how I wanted to start my season. So I ended up wounding that deer and then spending the rest of the weekend looking for it. The following week, my cousin Joe flew in from Florida. Now, Joe will be the first to admit that he's a pretty green bow hunter. I think he's only killed one or two deer with a bow. He had never elk hunted. And the main reason that he wanted to come out to Montana was to archery elk hunt, something that he's always wanted to do. I explained to Joe repeatedly that our chances of success on a public land archery elk hunt in Montana were pretty low, but Joe was all about the experience and he just wanted to come out and see what we could do. Now I'm not going to go into a ton of details of this hunt. Joe was out here for almost two weeks and I filmed a fair amount of it. I've got a video on my channel if you want to check that out. But what it comes down to is we were able to get on, I don't know, four or five different bulls. We got into 100 yards, maybe on three different occasions and either the wind got us or or our stocks weren't quite as precise as they wanted to be. One time we had a good stock going and it just got dark on us when we were about 100 yards away, just ran out of shooting light. So we had a lot of good close encounters with bulls, but man, archery elk hunting is tough. And we are in one of the plains units where it's not thick, heavy cover like you see. There's a lot of open areas, which makes it even more challenging with a bow to get into bow range. But we had a lot of fun. And then later on in the hunt, I talked to Joe and we decided to do some deer hunting for a few days. I had seen that good three by four buck, which was not a deer that I was personally interested in shooting, but I know Joe not having shot a lot of deer with his bow that he would have been excited to shoot it. So we went back to the area where I had actually wounded my buck to look for this three by four. And this is also on the video that I talked about with Joe, but surprisingly on our way out to where I thought this deer might be, 
the deer was actually already out it was early in the day it was like four in the afternoon and it wasn't getting dark till seven thirty-eight. and this deer was already out in almost the exact same area i'm talking within 100 yards of where i'd seen it the weekend before and joe was able to crawl to within 30 yards he had one of those ultimate predator bow mounted stalker decoys which i've talked about these on the podcast before they look pretty gimmicky but they actually work and it's surprising how well they work so if you've never seen those ultimate predator decoys check those out so joe was able to crawl in close enough draw and then rise up out of this field to get a shot at this buck he had about a 30 yard shot and unfortunately like me joe had a little bit of a mishap joe's arrow didn't deflect but he was just a little too accurate and he hit the deer right in the leg bone in the front leg bone didn't get any penetration the deer limped off at the time we weren't exactly sure where he'd hit it and it, the deer stopped about 50 55 yards joe was able to get a second shot off pretty rushed obviously and unfortunately he missed there so we were actually able to see that deer for i don't know three four five minutes so we knew it wasn't mortally wounded like a harder lung shot because it would have been dead already so we gave it some time we picked up the track later tracked the deer about 400 yards that evening ended up bumping into it saw it run off we followed it and bumped it again so at that point obviously we decided to wait until the following day it was getting close to dark anyways the next day we came back somehow we were able to pick up the blood about 900 yards away we found a bed there wasn't very much blood in the bed at all and then from that bed we weren't able to pick up any more blood so pretty sure that clotted up and unfortunately that was near the end of joe's hunt so struck out on the elk had a few opportunities like I said where we got to about 100 yards but no shots fired and then the one opportunity got at a deer didn't work out but that's reality didn't work out for me this season didn't work out for joe got a lot of friends people i know this season where it didn't work out for them either and unfortunately sometimes that's bow hunting so lessons learned there are make the most of the opportunities you have and when things don't work out just know that it happens certainly no one does it on purpose but really the only thing you can do is shake it off and get back out there so joe left at the end of september the archery season in montana goes through about the middle of october it's got a pretty early end compared to a lot of states in the midwest so i only had about two weekends left to strictly dedicate to archery hunting and one of those weekends was actually the antelope rifle opener that was october 8th this year it always opens out on saturday shauna had actually applied for and drawn an antelope tag we headed out for the opener we ended up glassing up a herd of antelope on private there was four nice bucks and several does i checked onyx looked up the guy's name realized it was a friend of a friend of a friend kind of a deal ended up getting the landowner's number called him told him the situation we had one tag and i was trying to get my girlfriend on an antelope and he said go for it which was super awesome of that guy and this property actually set up perfect the antelope were bedded on a flat area and there was a big wash through the center of the property so we were able to get on the opposite end of the property about a mile away get into this wash stay out of sight and close the distance we crawled up to the edge of the wash about 175 yards away from this group of antelope they were all bedded down we had to lay there about an hour and finally they got up and started milling around the buck that we were after was one of the last ones to get up sean made the shot and that was the end of antelope season tagged out on the first day antelope rifle hunting is super fun obviously growing up in the midwest not something that i had done before moving out to montana sean and i have really come to enjoy it 
I took my first antelope with a rifle in 2020, and then 2021, I was able to spot and stock one with a bow. One of the fun things about antelope hunting is they're visible, they're out in the open plains, and they're out all day. So unlike deer or elk, where most of your actions, morning or evening, you can have an all day long hunt for antelope. And with the animals being so visible, it feels like you're always in the action. Then back to bow season. The last weekend, I was driving to a new area and I actually saw a really nice mule deer buck right next to the road. Believe it or not, it was on public land. I double-checked the onyx, definitely was public. Turned around, drove back by the buck, still there. So I parked about a half mile away, got out, and started sneaking down this fence line because this buck was only about 100 yards off the road. This was in a pretty open area. There was essentially nothing for cover, so I was belly crawling along this fence line. And it was one of those deals where to have the wind right, the deer were feeding away from me. And they were feeding along at about the same speed that I could belly crawl. And this was about an hour before dark. And for about a half an hour, I just kept crawling. And every time I'd range, the deer were still like 100 yards away. So with about 30 minutes of daylight left, I made a really aggressive move. I'd actually seen a few of the does across the road. And I thought maybe the buck had crossed the road too. So as I was looking across the road in closing distance, there was a small draw in front of me, very small, just big enough to hide a deer. And guess where this mule deer buck was, which was a very nice buck, probably in the low 150s. That's right. He was in the bottom of the draw, ended up spooking him probably 80 yards away. He actually ran closer to me because I don't know if he realized what happened when I spooked him. And he ran by me probably 40, 50 yards, but full tilt. Obviously, no shot opportunities. He wouldn't slow down. And that was the end of my archery season in Montana. This was my fourth archery season since moving to Montana in 2019. So I hunted 19, 20, 21, and now 22. And it's the first time I haven't tagged a deer in archery season with a bow. I guess that's to be expected a little bit, though. I was holding out for pretty big deer this year. Did have some opportunities at some decent but not giant deer that I passed on. And that's just how it worked out this year. Rifle season opened on Saturday, October 22nd this year in Montana. Opening weekend weather was pretty terrible, a lot of rain, and the roads, especially the ungraveled roads in Montana, become basically impassable when they're wet. So instead of going out and getting stuck, getting rained on, decided to wait. Shauna and I didn't end up getting out until the weekend of like November 4th, I believe. We went to an area that I had hunted about five years ago, six years ago now. The first time I came to hunt in Montana as a non-resident with some friends of mine. It was very cold that day. Probably, I think the high was about 20 degrees. Shauna's a trooper. We had an eight-mile loop planned, and we made almost all that loop. About three miles out, we saw a really big two-by-two mule deer with a drop tine. I knew my buddy Jake was coming out at the end of November, so I was trying to hold on to my tag until then. Shauna had a tag, and she thought about shooting the deer, but in the end, she decided she didn't want to. I think she was pretty cold at that point and we were pretty far out there and I don't think the idea of packing deer out three miles was too appealing to her either. So just after we saw that really big frame two by two and when I say really big frame like this deer was probably 21 22 inches wide with like 22 23 inch main beams really big as far as two by twos go. It was obviously a mature deer. Shortly after we saw that buck Saw a group of does, the does got spooked, ran off a little bit, and stopped as I was glassing the does to make sure there was no bucks in the group. The one doe stopped right next to a shed. We went over and picked up the shed, and it was a giant fork off a two-point, so we're pretty sure we picked up a shed off the same buck that we had just seen with the drop tine. So that was pretty cool. But for November 4th, that's pretty early for the mule deer rut. We only ended up seeing that buck and one other buck that day, which was also 
a big but not quite as big fork. And then the following week, I headed to Kansas to meet up with Joel for an archery whitetail hunt. Joel and I hunt exclusively public land when we hunt in Kansas. This would be the third year that Joel and I had both had a tag. Going into 2022, I decided that I wanted to target some bigger deer, which means my odds of filling my tag were going to be a lot lower. My goal is to shoot something 135 or bigger or something pretty unique. Joel and I spent about two days just glassing and scouting when we got to Kansas. The weather was pretty warm the first day or two. And then on the third day, which was our first actual hunting day, about two hours into that first morning, Joel arrowed a pretty nice nine-point buck. He texted me and said that he had an arrow in one. So I left my location and drove over to Joel. It was about an hour later. He showed me the arrow. Arrow was absolutely coated in blood and bubbles. We figured, done deal, dead deer. So we start tracking this deer. Joel shoots a two-blade broadhead, so not always the best blood trails. We're not finding hardly anything for blood. We're just walking in the general direction that the deer traveled. It's pretty open, but we're parallel in the draw. So I'm walking in the draw, looking for blood, looking for the deer. I mean, we're both 100% sure this deer is going to be dead. We make it about 50 to 60 yards from where Joel had lost sight of the deer from his stand location. And the deer jumps up and takes off. We're both looking at each other pretty confused, not exactly sure what happened. Ask Joel if he wanted to wait, give it another hour or two, or if he wanted to keep tracking. I also asked him if he was sure that was even his buck because it didn't look like it was too hurt. The one thing I did notice when this buck took off, it made like a sloshing sound. And the only time I'd ever heard that before was in Ohio 2015. I shot a pretty nice buck. When I grabbed the deer to roll it over to gut it, it made the same kind of sloshing noise, like air coming out of a pierced diaphragm. So that did give us some hope. Joel didn't actually hear that noise and I wasn't entirely sure if I was hearing things, but I was about 95% sure that I heard that sloshing vacuuming noise coming out of the cavity. We knew that Joel had hit at least one lung based on the arrow because there was bubbles all over the arrow. So on a one lung hit, we decided to go ahead and try to push the deer. There were two more nearby draws, so I headed for one. Joel headed for the other one. And about 100 to 200 yards from where we lost sight of the deer, Joel found the deer dead. So we jumped it, it got up. Death ran 100 to 200 yards, tipped over, and that was it. But that was an hour at least after he had shot the deer initially. Turned out it was a one-lung liver hit, and that's why that deer was still alive after the fact and just happened that we caught it right before it died. So Joel was very excited, but he was kind of questioning insanity when that deer got up and ran away. So pretty good outcome there. So early in the season, Joel comes to Montana, first sit, two-hour, shoots a nice velvet mule deer, Go to Kansas, our first real day of hunting. Two hours into that day, Joel shoots another nice buck, whitetail buck, and he's tagged out. A couple lessons learned there. The first one is, if you have any doubt at all, always back out. Give the deer some time to expire. If you would have looked at this arrow, like I said, coated in blood, bubbles. Normally on a shot like that, it's always a double lung, and that deer's dead within a minute. But in this case, it was just one lung liver, and that deer lived over an hour. If we would have tracked that deer right away, good chance we would have bumped it who knows how far and the odds of recovering that deer go way down so if you have any doubt back out give it time if the deer's dead it'll still be dead if it's not you'll be glad you waited second lesson learned is scouting pays off so joel and i had made a trip to kansas 2020 or 2021 specifically to do some scouting in the spring pick out some trees for tree stands and this is one of the areas that we picked out but had never hunted Kind of an unconventional spot, but it just made a lot of sense. So we go back. It's the peak of the rut. Joel sits there. First time, like I said, two hours. Shoots a nice buck. 
So those off-season trips can definitely be worth it, especially when you have time to kind of dissect the landscape. You're not worried about bumping the deer. So if you're thinking about making an out-of-state trip and you have the time and the budget to do so, highly recommend going in the spring to do some scouting. After Joel tagged out, I had a few interesting hunts. It was either the second or third day after Joel had tagged out. I saw two bucks on a morning sit. It was kind of a morning-only area. One buck was very nice, probably 135, 140, right on the borderline what I was hoping to shoot. Came by at 70 yards. I grunted at it. Wouldn't turn. I just couldn't get his attention. He wasn't interested on a mission, and that was as close as I got on that buck. And then I moved mid-morning, so I got down out of that stand about 9.30, 10 o'clock, moved to an area that connects to bedding areas, and almost immediately, maybe I'd been sitting there a half hour, I had a buck come in. I hadn't ranged any areas yet, and this is kind of a more open area, so it's not like it was a super tight funnel, probably 50, 60 yards wide. And I had, a, like I said, had a pretty nice buck come in, shot the buck for 35 yards, hadn't, didn't get time to range, and clean mess right underneath him, ranged after the fact. It was like 47 yards. So big lesson learned there. As soon as you get set up, range some landmarks. I know that. Rookie mistake there. Ended up costing me a buck. It was probably right on the cusp of what I was hoping to shoot, right around 130, maybe 135. So I wasn't super disappointed. It wasn't like it was a Kansas Booner, a little easier to stomach. And then after that buck came through, in the next hour and a half, I saw eight more bucks. They were all two and three year olds, nothing that I was really super interested in shooting. Makes me wonder if I was sitting in that spot first thing in the morning, if a bigger buck went through and obviously a hot doe had to go through there because every buck in the neighborhood went through that area a day or two later i had another good hunt i set up on a fence row going back to a bedding area next to a cut cornfield again that's like a morning setup i'm not going to sit there all day i don't expect movement all day but there's deer out feeding in that field in the morning heading back to bed i those are the kind of spots that i like for the first hour or two in the morning in the rut we've got bucks out in those fields with does or checking on does before they head back to bedding had a group of deer that read the script, three or four does, and a really heavy eight-pointer. Came down this fence row. Unfortunately, they were on the other side of the fence row. It's about 40 yards wide. The buck stopped at probably 45, 50 yards just on the other side of the fence row in this cut cornfield. And again, rookie mistake, I didn't have my grunt call with me. Now, I'm not sure if he would have came over because it was semi-open and maybe you could see. And he would have just kept following the does. But I didn't have any calls with me. So I just had to watch this buck on the other side of the fence row. And then the does and the bucks just continued on to the bending area. Didn't get a shot. So pretty disappointed in myself there. Pretty obvious lesson learned is you can't make mistakes. Not having my grunt call that morning, that was a mistake. Not ranging landmarks as soon as I got in my stand. Before that, that was a mistake. So shame on me, I guess. Pretty sloppy hunting on my part this year. Going into 2023, just want to get more dialed in and be detail-oriented. Those things are the things that really make a difference, and they cost me this year for sure. And then one more interesting story from Kansas. The spot that I had the nine bucks come through midday the one day where I shot under the buck. I hunted that in the evening. Didn't see a deer. I knew I was in a good area, though, so I hunted right until the very edge of the legal light. So I lower my bow down, start taking my stand and my sticks down, I usually use a red light when I'm packing up just so my night vision doesn't get all messed up from the white light. So I'm packing up my stand and my sticks and I hear a deer coming and it started snowing at this point. Wind was blowing pretty good. So I don't know if the deer couldn't see me or maybe because of the red light, but it kept getting closer and closer. And then I knew it was super close. 
So, of course, I'm a glutton for punishment. I turn on the white light, I look at this deer, and here's 150, 160-inch deer standing 8 to 10 yards away from me. So, go figure. That's how it goes. I was hunting pretty close to the public-private boundary. Couldn't get any closer. I knew where I would want to be, but obviously that was private land. Couldn't get any closer, but, man, 20 minutes of a difference there, and I'm probably shooting 150-inch deer. What can you do? Just laugh it off and keep moving on. But that was a pretty good story. I hunted hard for a few more days, but never had any other good encounters on Big Bucks. So that was a wrap. The morning of November 17th, one last desperation, two-hour sit in Kansas. Had one doe come running through. Thought there was going to be a buck behind it, but nothing. Packed up my stand and headed back for Montana. Before I recap the Montana rifle season, I want to take a break to mention HuntingBeastGear.com. Co-founded by the Big Buck serial killer himself, Dan Infault, Hunting Beast Gear features state-of-the-art manufacturing techniques, the highest quality materials, and innovative designs that have been engineered, field-tested, and refined to perfection by a group of the best mobile hunters on the planet. www.huntingbeastgear.com delivers cutting-edge products, including Beast Gear climbing sticks with weight reduction holes designed to deliver incredible durability in a lightweight stick. Beast Gear climbing sticks also feature non-staggered inline stacking and double steps, all in a 2.2-pound package, including the fastening strap. HuntingBeastGear.com has also released the game-changing Beast Gear Hang-On Tree Stand. Designed to be the ultimate hang-on tree stand solution, with four years of prototyping, testing, and refinement, the Beast Gear Stand features a 16-inch wide by 29-inch long platform. The stand comes in at an incredible 6.8 pounds, and it does all that without compromising strength or durability. The Beast Gear Stand is finished with a long-lasting anodized coating and features grade 8 hardware, high-quality Delrin washers, beast buttons, and adjustment knobs. For more details and to place your order today, head on over to www.huntingbeastgear.com. Now back to the podcast. Well, I arrived back in Montana on November 18th. My buddy Jake had flown in from Michigan the evening before. We unpacked my truck, got supplied, repacked my truck, and then we headed for the hunting location. We got a late start on the day, so by the time we got there, it was already dark. This is a pretty remote area of the state. Not a lot of lodging options, and it was about 15 degrees And the only option was to sleep in the truck, so that's what we did. Zero out of ten, I would not recommend. The next day, we got up about an hour before daylight, started making our way into the heart of where we're going to hunt, and we ran into pretty tough conditions on the access road. Ended up having to chain up my Toyota Tacoma to get to where we wanted to go. Even then, it was real tough going. The road had drifted over pretty bad with the snow, and with all the drifts and the blowing, the drifts had hardened up quite a bit, so pretty hard to bust through. On several occasions, thought we were going to have to turn around. But against all common sense and our better judgment, we kept going, got out to the area that we wanted to hunt. We had planned to walk about an eight or nine mile loop. And about five miles into that loop, we spotted a pretty nice buck. We'd seen a lot of deer that morning, but mostly does, a few smaller bucks, nothing that got us too excited. Jake ended up spotting a nice deer. And on the way to go check that deer out, because somebody named Jeremy, that's me, forgot the spotting scope in the truck. We actually ran into another deer that looked just as good or maybe better. I was the shooter on day one, so I asked Jake to range the deer. Jake told me it was 450 yards. I shoot long range pretty regularly. Have a scope that you can dial in, not a BDC, an actual MOA scope. And have a ballistic calculator app on my phone. So I set my scope for 450 yards, shot, and the deer didn't do anything. I asked Jake to range again because it was still standing there. He tried to range again, and his rangefinder wouldn't work. Couldn't get a range, couldn't get a range, and by the time I went to grab mine, the buck and his doe started trotting out of the area. So right before I shot at this buck, 
Jake and I had crawled up to the edge of a ridge to keep our silhouette low. And sometime in the process of crawling, Jake had filled up the laser part of his laser rangefinder on the front completely with snow. So I think that first range was inaccurate because when I took out my rangefinder and ranged where the deer was standing, it was 660 yards. Quite a difference, and that's obviously why I missed the shot underneath the deer. The deer never saw us. I really don't think they had an idea what was going on. We were far enough away where the wind probably wouldn't have mattered anyways, but we did have the wind advantage. And there was snow on the ground, so I told Jake we were going to head towards the deer try to pick up the tracks and get back on that buck because that was the nicest deer that we had seen all morning. About half a mile to three quarters of a mile later, we were able to relocate that group of deer, including the buck. Again, we crawled to an edge of a ridge. This time, I didn't really trust Jake or his rangefinder anymore, so I ranged the deer myself. It was 450 yards again, dialed the scope, shot, hit the deer, hit it just a little bit back. It actually ran towards us closer, got down into a draw, once the deer was out of sight, we ran up closer to the deer, crested the ridge in front of us where we could see down in that draw where we lost the deer, spotted the deer, bedded down, got another round in him, and put him down for good. At this point, it was probably a little bit before noon, late November in Montana. It gets dark about 5.30, quarter to 6. We knew we had our work cut out for us. I drew a straight line on Onyx from where the deer was to my truck, and that was a little bit over three miles Due to the rugged terrain, we knew that there was no way we were going to go in a straight line because that would have meant a lot of traversing uphill, downhill, uphill, downhill. So we mapped out a route that we thought was going to be about four and a half miles. The longer route meant a lot flatter walk. And it turns out four and a half miles was more like five and a half miles. So four hours later, which we left the kill site right around two o'clock, we got back to my truck at 6.07, totally exhausted. The wind had started blowing and it was very cold. And the lesson learned there is, first of all, if you're going to be that far back, make sure it's something you really want to shoot. In this case, it was. It turned out to be my biggest deer ever, personal best, scored 146. And the second lesson is, make sure you're prepared. We actually both ran out of water on the way back with about a mile to go. You wouldn't think water is that important when it's cold out, but it certainly is. Also, during the course of the pack out, my phone completely died. Normally, I carry a backup battery bank, but I'd forgot it. If you're noticing, there's a trend this year. I forgot a lot of stuff, forgot my grunt call, forgot the spotting scope, forgot my battery backup, and it's paying attention to those little details that can either result in getting the buck or, in this case, getting yourself in trouble when your phone runs out and that's your primary source of navigation. Now, I have been lost several times before, so in this particular case, I had Jake with me. He had plenty of phone battery, but I also had a compass in my bag. So if you're going to be navigating these larger landscapes, highly recommend both battery bank backup and a compass. You want to have some redundant navigation, especially since it got dark on us and it's really easy to get disoriented in the dark. So getting back to the hunt, we did hunt the following day. We slept in pretty good because we were totally exhausted from the pack out the day before. That afternoon, we got into several bucks, nothing quite what Jake was looking for couple 120 type deer solid deer but nothing real big the following day which was day number three of jake being out went to an area that we had had success previously in 2020 jake actually shot a mid 150s deer out of this area so we knew it had some potential got in there and not even an hour after daylight jake spotted a really nice buck we saw it from the side profile first didn't get a good look at it head on or going away just the side profile had really good back forks and really solid front forks. 
Jake decided that it was a buck that he'd want to shoot, took the shot, and ended up getting that buck. I think initially Jake had a little bit of buyer's remorse. We got up to the deer, and by mule deer standards, it wasn't super wide, like 16, 17-inch inside spread. When a lot of times on a muley, you know, you're looking for something 20-plus. But the deer did have great forks. I think it's a super cool buck, and we ended up scoring Jake's buck. And his deer also scored 146, so we ended up shooting deer with very different-looking frames, but they both taped out the same, which was pretty cool. I actually filmed quite a bit of Jake and I's mule deer hunt, made a video of that, and that's on my channel now also if you haven't seen that yet. Check it out. So that was a wrap on my 2022 hunting season. Left a lot of tags unfilled, but no regrets there. I knew going into the season that I was trying to up my standards just for the challenge to myself and that hunting on exclusively public land that was going to be a lot more difficult to fill tags on those kinds of animals. I feel fortunate that I was able to get one really nice buck in Montana and I had a great season hunting with friends and I got to see them take a lot of nice bucks as well. And that brings me to planning for 2023. Today is December 29th. I'm just starting to think about what tags I might want to apply for next year. I did let my friends know that I was out of the fee-free guide service this year. So I'll be hunting a lot more for myself this year. Had a great time in 2022 with everyone that came out, but that's not something that I'm looking to do every year. So I'm going to take 2023 and really focus on trying to get two or three nice animals, whether that's deer, elk, bear, uh, maybe one of each. That'd be great. Speaking of bear, that is one of my 2023 goals. I haven't done any serious spring bear hunting since I've moved to Montana, but that's something that I'm definitely interested in trying this spring. So I'm going to start doing some research on good units. I'm going to start calling around to some biologists here in Montana. I'm going to start reading some articles, try to get skilled up there. And then this spring, I'm going to give that a good effort. I would love to spot and stock a spring bear. And I've just recently learned that the Rocky Mountains has one of the largest concentrations of color phase black bears. It would be super cool to get a color phase bear like a cinnamon bear. And then one of my other goals is to shoot a velvet mule deer. That was a goal for 2022. Almost did it. Fell just short when I wounded that buck that I talked about in this podcast. Every year in Montana, the archery season opens the first Saturday in September. This year, that's September 2nd. So get a few extra days to chase deer and velvet. Going to hit that real hard. And then another goal of mine for 2023, which has been a goal every year since I moved here, is to shoot an elk with my bow. For a lot of reasons, that just hasn't come together yet, but I'm feeling more confident than ever. So I'm going to hunt that first week of September for deer in velvet, and then as soon as the deer strip the velvet off, the rest of September and probably all of October, I'm going to really dedicate to elk this year. There's been a few seasons since I moved here where I haven't pursued elk super hard. I have more fun deer hunting, but I really want to get an elk. And I'm not getting any younger. So 2023, I'm going to make a really dedicated effort to get one. And then the other thing I want to do is I want to do some late season hunting next year, archery hunting. Pretty difficult. I did have a good late season hunt 2019 in North Dakota. Not a monster buck, but it was really fun. And I'm looking to do that again this year. So I'm probably going to apply for a North Dakota tag. I've been putting in for the either species, either mule deer or whitetail tag. That's an archery tag in North Dakota for non-residents for the past couple of years. Haven't drawn it yet, so maybe I'll draw that. And if that's the case, I'll have an opportunity to chase mule deer in the later part of the rut and or whitetails. So that would be a fun late season hunt. And then my last goal for 23 is to film more and put out more content. I've definitely been enjoying doing the podcast. Like I said, this past year, I got super busy in the fall with work. Wasn't able to record nearly as many as I wanted to. 
but hoping to change that for 23. Also did more filming this year. Still struggling with getting that down, but I feel like getting closer in 23, I'm going to really dedicate to filming a lot more of these hunts. I've learned over the course of the last two years that it's something you really have to want to do. It's easy to get lazy and leave the camera gear in the truck, and that's usually when something happens. Or I go to a new area for the first time, not expecting a whole lot, and that's when something happens. Or I just don't know how to operate the equipment efficiently. So I feel like I'm getting over a lot of those hurdles. So I'm hoping to do a lot more filming this spring, this fall, and do a lot more podcasts throughout the year. If you guys are still listening to this at this point and you have any guest suggestions, go ahead and leave a comment. Also, I'd be really interested to hear what your guys' goals are for 23. I'm a big believer in setting goals. And that's one of the few relevant things that I did learn while I was in business school is that writing down your goals is powerful. So I'd encourage everyone that's listening to write down your goals for 2023 and not only write down your goals, make them specific and then break them down into sub goals. So you have an actionable plan to accomplish those. Look at them semi-regularly, review them, and your odds of accomplishing those goals are going to go way up. So that's going to do it for today's episode. As always, if you enjoyed this podcast, hit the like leave a comment. And if you haven't already subscribed, go ahead and do that. I appreciate the support from all of you who have already subscribed and good luck in 2023. We'll catch you next time.